legalizefreedom.com. Why are we here? Where do we come from? Where are we going? From the nature of reality to the future of humanity. Listen without limits. Unchain your brain. Change your thinking. Change your life. LegalizeFreedom.com Greetings and welcome once again to LegalizeFreedom.com. I'm your host Greg Moffat and my guest today is Mark Stavish who joins us for the latest episode of our mini-series Freedom From Fear. Beginning in August 2020, Freedom From Fear is a free-form discussion series taking the title as its starting point. In this episode, Mark and I discuss how fear stops us living, our inability to deal with uncertainty, ambiguity and our own mortality often causes us to lead shallow, meaningless lives. Our culture tells us that existence is meaningless, and fear stops us from challenging this. Fear of castigation, fear of standing out from the crowd, and fear of what we might discover about ourselves if we look deeper. But there are profound consequences to how we live our lives, even if we try to deny it. Ultimately, it is still possible to carve out a path of meaning and purpose, in a society in decline. A fearless approach to fear may help kill fear altogether. Hi Mark, uh, thanks for joining us once again today on LegalizeFreedom.com. Hi, thank you very much for the invitation, it's great to be here. Uh, Mark, today you're going to be uh, the latest in my series Freedom from Fear, which began back in August 2020. And this is just a free-form discussion and it takes the title, Freedom from Fear, as its starting point. We don't actually know quite yet what direction this is going to go in. We haven't discussed this uh, beforehand, so it really is just start from scratch and off we go. Um, just before we get into it, for listeners who are not familiar with you, just can you say a brief word about your um, your background and your work in general? Well, I am the uh, founder and director of studies of the Institute for Hermetic Studies. Uh, we've been around for well over 20 years. I have over 40 years experience in esotericism through various organizations and uh, training and practice, and I'm the author of uh, approximately 30 books that uh, many of them, and hundreds of articles, and, and many of them have been translated into about uh, a dozen or so languages, and I can easily be found just by Googling Mark Stavish or going to Amazon, and uh, there you'll find out more about me than probably you care to know. Okay, so what the the three words that we're starting with, freedom from fear, where, where does your mind go first if someone asks you to respond to that? Just just as a thought, as a phrase, you know, what what's the what's the first the what are the first images and ideas that begin to form in your mind? Well, the phrase uh, from a psychological perspective is kind of a wonderful Warshock test because the very notion of fear as being the uh, active element, freedom from fear, means that the mind in a sense, induces a little bit of neuroses or fear just by hearing it. Uh, rather than moving in a positive direction, it moves to the direction of something that it may be afraid of, even if only vaguely. It's like, fear? Afraid? What am I afraid of? I'm not afraid of anything. 
Or what am I afraid of? So the, the title itself is, in a sense, inducive or inductive to the nature of fear. And uh, it's just a little bit of a psychological insight there that we see a lot in public service announcements, at least when we used to hear more of them, is they were almost always stated in the negative. Don't do this. And what's interesting is when you're being told not to do something, you're not being told what to do. So the only thing that can happen is the mind real remembers the thing which it's not supposed to do and tries to either forget it or put it in a box somewhere. But it doesn't put it in a positive direction. So we have to ask ourselves, once we realize what we are afraid of, because we all have fears, it's part of our survival instinct, then what? What's the operative phase? So we recognize what we're afraid of, but we can only become free through an action. So the active part is what do we do with this now that we recognize it? Yeah, that's a very interesting observation, actually, and one that's not been made so far in this discussion, because freedom from fear, to, to me, when the three words entered my head when I was in bed trying to get to sleep, felt very positive because the, the operative word in the phrase for me was freedom. And I, the image that I've chosen, the graphic to illustrate these, is um, a bird f flying alone in, in an empty sky on a sunset, and everything about it for me was emphasizing freedom. But you're absolutely right, uh, and this is language is so important. And you talk about those public service announcements: don't do this and don't do that. And it's a bit like uh, having a big red button on a piece of machinery that, and having underneath it saying "Do not push." this button you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so but you're, you're, you're right and it's like which and it doesn't tell you why so you're just dying to push it to find out why <laughs> yeah exactly you know or or, or something you know in, in, a, in, a, in a bottle do not drink this you know and uh, something on a plate do not eat this you know and uh so and sometimes the the, the way that like la language in the terms we're speaking of here the way that operates is used very very deliberately of course you know that's uh, that's we we both know quite a bit about that um but there there's also the unintended uh, which i think is what uh, i've demonstrated here your comment was like was not my intent but of course if you say if you mention fear then people immediately start you know thinking about it you say what am i afraid of and why now, am I afraid? And use lots of other words that will bring up negative connotations and negative feelings within us that we could use to demonstrate the same point. You mentioned that the evolutionary function, uh, the sort of survival me mechanism of fear, and that is something that has actually come up in each of these discussions because for many of people, they've, they've started to think about what, you know, where does fear come from? Why are we afraid? You know, are other, um, do other um, mammals, you know, on, on this planet demonstrate these same reactions and behaviours? And always it's come round to the idea that there there is a survival function, flight or uh, fight, um, built into us here, but that something has, how can I put it, throughout our evolution that, that has, has changed. Uh, you know, most of us don't find ourselves in extreme survival situations on a daily basis and fear has evolved as we have into into something else i don't know if you would agree with that but it seems to be well, what we hear often is you know from folks you know fear is a negative emotion or don't be afraid mm. and uh, this is particularly tr particularly true in a lot of uh, modern esoteric teachings but if you look at tradition traditional esoteric teachings were designed to induce fear in many aspects, particular initiations, in order so that one could address it, one could come to terms with it, one could overcome it. 
one could recognize what is it that I am afraid of, which often in esoteric teachings was fundamentally death, you know, afraid of dying and one's mortality coming to grips with that. You know, so when we look at fear, we have to look at it not as an end in and of itself, but an indicator. You know, no different than pain or love or happiness or joy. These are not ends in and of themselves, but they are indicators of something else. And fear indicates to us that something is threatening us, that we perceive on some level, uh, and usually it's existential, a threat. And what we've often been told is to ignore our fear, to ignore it. When in fact, uh, as someone wrote in the title of their book, The Gift of Fear, it is a gift, it is a survival gift, and we need to pay attention to it. Uh, until we can then begin to address it, and then we can move beyond fear. Uh, that is, Remember, that is a possibility, and that is a goal of many schools and teachings. But before then, you have to come to understand the value of it. You know, it's kind of like saying... Uh, I don't know. You you want to uh, move. You want to move beyond uh, attachment to m material wealth. Well, that's wonderful, but you you better at least understand the value of it in your life before you can move beyond your attachment to it. Yes, I suppose that the, the one question then is is facing fear, uh, analyzing fear, um, being being able to look at fear in a fearless way if that doesn't sound like nonsense to is this fear warranted uh what, well that's the first part mm. i mean really as i often i say to many people uh, okay you know let's let's run this through uh what are the worst things that could happen you know recently uh you know one of my sons had a uh, serious operation and of course, uh, my wife, uh, is, is really upset about this because she's, has, uh, PhD in biology. So she asks the questions to the doctors that, uh, you know, someone like that does. And, you know, there, she rightly had concerns. Whereas my questions were simple. Must he have this operation? Okay. The surgeon says, yes. Why? The surgeon tells why the operation must be had. What are the risks involved? Okay. What are the risks involved if he does not have it? Okay. Now, once that's satisfied, who is doing the operation? You know, and that's it. Then it's done. Now, what's the worst thing that could have happened? My son could have died on the table. That's it. Or, next worst thing, uh, he loses some side of physical functions. Okay. Now, those are pretty serious possibilities. Run through, they probably weren't going to happen. The chances of them happening were pretty small particularly compared to what was going to happen if you didn't have the operation. So, you know, everybody hates Western civilization until they need modern dental care or spinal surgery. You know? So that said, I didn't have any anxiety. I didn't have any fear over it. That's it. 
you used the word anxiety there, and that's something else that's come up uh, in these discussions. Where does we're talking about language, um, and you have a feeling of fear. You try to articulate it. Where does anxiety end and fear begin? Sometimes I think fear is paralyzing. Mm. You know, when you move into the notion of uh, a hyperadrenal response, not just a little bit of neuroses, not just uh, maybe tr- trouble sleeping at night, but now you've got some adrenal response where we move into a panic attack, fight or flight. You know, that's when we're moving into fear because now the body has to do something. Yeah. And the body can't do anything in those situations. So we have to learn to control our mind. We have to learn to control our breathing. We have to learn to control our bodies as a result. Now, by the way, my son had the operation. It was a spectacular success. The surgeon was just phenomenal. Quite pleased with himself, so I was very happy. My, <laughs> my wife was very happy. Now, that's, that's a stoic way of approaching it. You know, you, you, we have to learn to be stoics again about many things. You'll hear people say things like, oh, I'm afraid of public speaking, for example. Oh, I love that one because I taught public speaking. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, so what, but is that fear, actually, at the end of the day? It's anxiety, isn't it? It's, um, sweaty, oh, it's... sweaty palms. I mean, is it, I mean, it depends on the individual, I guess, because some people say they're afraid of spiders. And what they mean is right. they, they just don't want a spider crawling on them. Other people will, will go into just state of shock if they're <laughs> had to deal yeah, with a situation I... like that. I've seen full-blown panic attacks over public speaking, and I've gotten people through that. And it's rare. It's usually just a little nervousness. And, you know, how we manage it is experience and training. I mean, the class I taught was training. It was, you know, to train you. This is the place where you make your mistakes. This is where you learn. This is where we have fun. This is where you get better. See, one of the problems is is uh, perfectionism. You know, the perfectionism that many people have um, is what ruins their ability to be playful mm. or to be relaxed. You know, political correctness is, is a disease. It's a mental health disease because of that. It's so stern and restrictive and, and, uh, uh, always changing the goalposts keeps people in a constant state of unease. Yeah. You know what's going to be said. So, you know, you, you have that, and, and my view is, you know, we'll, we'll forget about it. Okay, well, people say, well, but if I say this, then that happens. If I say, well, you know what, you got to make your choices. This is about value choices. You know, either you're going to accept the situation you're in and, and be okay with it and move on, or you're not, and you're going to change yourself or your situation and take the responsibility that comes with it. So in, in many ways, when we talk about fear in the modern sense, you know, we're not often dealing with physical attacks, although that, that happens as well. And, and I've had to deal with that in different people in very violent situations. It's a different kind of fear, but it's still fear. We're often dealing with people who are afraid for their social standing. They're afraid for their incomes. They're afraid for their reputations. And, and that, that this is not important. However, you have got to make your decision on that level. What's more important to you? Your values or your pension? Just to be clear, you know, I worked in social services for many years and I dealt with people who were very on the low end of the totem pole socioeconomically. And, and a lot of them were there because they repeatedly made bad decisions over and over again. 
You know, and I, I'd say, you know, you, you have to change your decision-making capacity. You have to change what you do. You know, the same thing, you know, but I've said the same thing, you know, recently just to really drive the point home and annoy some people. You know, we're talking about this whole thing that went on in Afghanistan. And, you know, I talk to a lot of soldiers all the time, military folks, current and, and previous. And when they complain about what went on, I said, well, that didn't stop you. You stayed in. You signed up again. You went in for your, you know, you retired with a pension. If this really mattered to you, you would have done the ethical thing and left. But you didn't. So stop complaining. You talked about public speaking and helping people to overcome anxiety or fear around that. In your dealings with military, I mean, cause I don't, I don't know military in the family, no military connections, no close friends in the military. When you, in, soldiers in general, but certainly when you get to, you know, elite units, special forces, I wonder what training to overcome fears actually looks like you know, when people put, put into situations like that. Um, well, by the time they get into elite units, there's a strong selection process that they go yeah. through psychologically and physically. And most of the, most of the selection process is psychological because almost everybody's in good physical shape. That's not the problem. Mm. When you look at most of those training practices, uh, those training sessions are designed to, to stress them psychologically to make them break there rather than on the physical end. Because they're all highly experienced by that point. At least most of them are. So you look at the psychological factors and, you know, it's a high degree of self-motivation to succeed. And also what constitutes dependency? Who are you loyal to? And this is where peer pressure comes in, but also peer support. You know, how do you work as a team to help one another? But also that means you don't want to let your, your fellow teammates down you know, in, in doing your job. And in case that job, that job's a highly stressful one that involves, you know, potentially getting injured or killed in the process. But the high level of training that they get and constant level of training, uh, you know, makes a lot of things second nature that for us are just uh, on average unimaginable. Mm. Uh, however, again, the personality type that goes into that is not run of the mill. They are, they are by nature people who are not easily afraid. It's not to say that they aren't, but they have learned on certain levels, even if it's just instinctually, how to manage fear. Yeah, I think that other people haven't. Yeah, ma management is a lot to do with it, isn't it? You talked earlier about controlling your breathing, about stilling your mind, whatever it happens to be. It's about not having that knee-jerk reaction it's about being the observer of, of your of, of, of your body and your mind in that situation and just having the being able to be to separate enough from you know what your what your body is perhaps trying to do what your mind says do this right now and it's just just hold on a second you just have to be able to assess a situation albeit at lightning speed and or, or as one person said to me, you know, this is a old World War II vet, you know. He said, uh, you know, his sergeant said, just pitch yourself and get it over with. Hmm. You know, and, you know, there's, again, knowing that you can probably deal with this later, you know, if you survive, you'll deal with it later, is a different viewpoint. 
so when we look at our day-to-day -day fears, we have to look at going back to more reasonable ones. What's the worst possible thing that could happen? Almost all fears are existential. They deal with the fact that we will die. They deal with the fact that we must be responsible for our lives. They deal with the fact that we uh, are fundamentally alone. Okay. And then they deal with the fact that we must decide what has value. And, and those four points are extremely demanding. That's why it's very easy to get people involved in activities that aren't very good for them, whether it's being a cult or whether a, a gang. I mean, you look at people who, again, you see these old mafia guys going on YouTube and giving interviews. What do they say? They say the same thing all these soldiers do. Now, most soldiers don't fight for patriotism. They fight for a paycheck. Or they fight because they like it. And it just happens that they fight on our side. And, and for sometimes that works out really well for us and for others. And sometimes it doesn't. But you look at why they miss it. It's because they miss having meaning in their life. They miss having very clearly defined boundaries. They miss the camaraderie. Yeah, I've never quite understood. Not that I would become one, of course. But I've never quite understood the... Uh, contempt from many quarters for mercenaries, for example, who are really just um, doing what other, you know, military units, other armies are doing. It's just it's not always the same employer. And and some of them have distinct value structures too. That needs to be understood. They're not all just guns for hire. Mm. Uh, they have distinct. Many of them is who they will and will not work for. Yeah. But my point was is that if you look at why people will wax you know, about going back is because, well, the same thing with these guys who were, who were, uh, criminals. Your life is clearly defined. You have meaning. There's a camaraderie. There's a code of conduct. Same thing in cults. When you see people in religious cults, wow. Or even political movements, super causes. Everything's clear. All the answers are given to you. And again, there are pluses and minuses to all of these in different regards. You know, we're, we're kind of making certain broad statements, but I want to make these statements so that people listening can understand these certain points of contact, you know, that can be very broad and in a variety of experiences. You see the same thing with people who retire. You know, for 30, 40 years, everything was set up for them. Mm. Now they retire and they don't know what to do. Who am I? Well, you know, what am I? Again, empty nest syndrome. You know, when the children leave the house. Who am I? What am I? What do I do now? You know, where am I at in my life? My life arc, my life cycle. More years behind me than in front of me. Or if so, the ones in front of me, how good are they going to look? So all of these things cause anxiety and when dwelled upon can fear and ultimately must be addressed. And spiritual and philosophical systems are designed primarily around addressing those those questions. Yes, and that's that has they they have um, they're not all equal. You know, they have plus and, and negative dimension to them as well. And you mentioned, for example, you know, that cult there. You know, all their answers are there for you. You don't have to think for yourself. You also mentioned uh, after we 
uh, dealt with the, the, the ultimate existential fear, fear of death. There's then the kind of taking responsibility. And I see tremendous, let's keep using the word fear, substitute anything else you, you prefer if you're listening to this, but in the idea that you could almost describe as a fear of freedom. We're talking about freedom from fear. There's fear of freedom as well. And you see the the situations that people put themselves into uh, to avoid, never mind taking responsibility for their own lives, but even acknowledging that that's a, a thing that they that they must do, that they need to do. So well, that's a that's a well known phenomenon, mm, and that falls in that freedom, you know, fear of responsibility, you know, mm. freedom being I, I have to make my own choices, and and hold to them, uh, and and we see that a lot with people, you know, the uh, Peter Pan syndrome where. Young men in particular now are encouraged not to become young men. They're encouraged not to grow up, uh, to basically be boys, you know, as, you know, to, in their entire lives, infantile in many respects, early adolescence at best, uh, video games and pornography and all this kind of nonsense, you know, that just sucks their life force out of them. Uh, but we see that too in other activities where people are, uh, <clears throat> serial offenders. They just, can't get out of the institutional setting because everything is set up for them. So they get out of jail and they go right back in. They turn around and commit a crime to go back in. And uh, sometimes you'll, someone will be honest about it. They'll say, look, I, I, I've been here for 20 years or 30 or 40 years and it, I, I can't go out. I don't, don't release me. You know, and, and then they'll say, well, you know, you want to go back in, this is what you got to do, you know, and uh, so that way they basically don't get more than 20 feet from the door. Uh, that's been known to happen. Other people just do it unconsciously. They they can't help themselves. They're, the, the correctional facility system is all they know. So they'll constantly go back to it. Uh, so responsibility is uh, the key thing. I am responsible for my own life. Yeah, and of course, you see, even if someone, there's a phrase, if you choose not to decide, you've still made a choice. And yeah. not taking responsibility, that, 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 that's a choice. You cannot avoid actually responsibility for your life. People think if they're shirking it, avoiding it, um, delegating it to others, you know, looking for all the answers from third parties from outside themselves, that they're somehow avoiding something. They're not. You're just steering your life in a different way to someone who's more proactive and positive or conscious about it. So there's no getting away from the, you know, no matter how afraid you are of it, of responsibility, your life will pan out as a result of your actions or inaction. And in in that context, inaction is an action. Well, that's the natural, that's, you know, the natural unfolding of karma or cause and effect, causation, action. And, you know, I, I use this point to say, you know, there's a reason the masses are disdained by the elites. <laughs> a very good reason. Mm. I mean, I've been around esotericism for over 40 years. I, I've worked with a variety of people on all social and class structures and education levels. And I just see, you know, across the board, um, for the most part, uh, how many people simply want to, you know, and particularly smart people, the, the more educated they are, the worse they are. Uh, want to simply avoid not only taking responsibility for their lives, but then doing something. You know, they don't want to do something, particularly if it's painful or is going to involve sacrifice. 
you know that's why the state of contemporary spirituality is is in such poor repair um you know it, it has so little to do with tradition which meant tremendous effort and sacrifice and um you know so that's it so why should i and, and think about it. it it's like anything anyone who's good at what they do is an elite at what they do why should they spend their time energy and resources on people who don't want to even make an effort or just want to make a half-assed effort yeah there's no i see that all like i see that all the time with spirituality people who think i owe them something or you owe them, anyone someone owes them something and um you know it just doesn't work that way you know we, we help people and we can create conditions for helping people but people have to step up and, and then there's the other part you see a lot of people particularly again intellectuals uh who who don't want to understand that there are natural limits to many people you know yeah. there's, there's just there's just limits to where and what they can do and and when you don't respect that limit and you we, we used to call it in social services pushing till they break oh we found their limit why they broke <laughs> oh and that's how we find the limit we break it and then you try to put it back together again. And it doesn't always work. You know, so it's, it, again, that's false expectations and notions about who we are and what we are. You know, all of these questions, when you get down to fear, fear of what? And again, fear of, if we want to say death, ultimately this comes down to a metaphysical question. So all fears are a direct result of our understanding of and direct experience, not just a theoretical and intellectual understanding, but a direct experience of our own nature of beingness. What does it mean to be? And how, um, how that exists in context, both of this physical life and without it. Yeah, there's so many thoughts have come up. I mean, in the comments you just made, there's no, reward without effort for sure i mean that was definitely instilled in me uh, by my grandfather who, who was instead of my uh my father who was off the scene uh when i was very young um the phrase god helps those who help themselves also springs to mind well people pray to the gods and they want help the gods don't care i mean the gods are going to help us but they're not going to do it for us you know my great uncle used to say we have to come at least halfway Maybe, maybe the God will come 52% of the way, but we, you know, we really gotta, we gotta come halfway. We can't, we can't expect, uh, the universe to, to do more than we're willing to do for ourselves. One of the things that, this is actually, I was going to make a point about, and this has come up in a few of these, uh, chats, is about the, the whole pandemic response situation, you know, that, that the government response, public response and everything in between, and, you know, and how much fear has been generated around all of that. Some of it very deliberately weaponized. One negative, if I don't know, I'm not sure what positives there are. There are some, but one negative dimension of what's been happening over the last, um, you know, 16 months or so, 18 months, um, has been this increased, uh, not only fear, but this, this dependency deliberately or otherwise individual agency being uh, suppressed or removed and people feeling more helpless and looking to others for answers and, you know, answers, you know, phys solutions to physical problems, to physical needs, psychological difficulties, psychological needs, and again, everything in between. 
and it feels like society society in general has been like really set back by this um so many people now just won't can't move you know can't do this you can't do that just look elsewhere for what do i do that concludes part one of our interview part two will be available soon in the subscribers area at legalizefreedom.com legalizefreedom.com